From the WJFF studios in Liberty, New York, this is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. On today's show, it's the first day of Black History Month, and Janice Adams is here to talk about scholars and scholarship, the work of black and brown scholars from the last 150 years, and a unique take on Black History Month, stories about life from those who know more about it than most of us, centenarians, people who have achieved or are nearing their 100th birthdays. Plus, how one Calicoon Center resident barely survived biking the Trans-America Trail. We'll talk to Doug Woods. And a photo contest in Wayne County. That's coming up. But first, the news from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. European Union leaders have reached a deal to establish a $54 billion funding plan for Ukraine. This came after Hungary lifted its veto. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley reports Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban's decision came surprisingly quickly. EU leaders arrived in Brussels ready to spend the day convincing Orban to support funding for Ukraine. Polish Prime Minister Donald Tusk voiced his frustration ahead of the summit. I can't understand, I can't accept this the very strange and very egoistic game of uh, Viktor Orban. The EU says Hungary's quick reversal now locks in steadfast, long-term and predictable funding for Ukraine. The money will help Kyiv keep its economy running in 2024 and sustain essential services such as health care, education, social protection, and pensions. Eleanor Beardsley, Pierre News, Paris. The Senate Judiciary Committee grilled leaders of several big tech companies yesterday in a lengthy hearing. Lawmakers want to know what the companies are doing to protect children from online abuse. There are five bills in the Senate intended to curb this abuse, but only the leaders of Snap and X, formerly known as Twitter, said they supported one of the measures in committee. Committee Chair Dick Durbin of Illinois says he wants to get the bills to the Senate floor. We all came together and unanimously voted out these bills. The question now is, can we put together what is needed to bring them to the floor of the Senate, and will the House respond as well? These are big questions, but we have a lot of political force and emotional force behind us. But some activist groups have expressed opposition to some of the bills. They say these measures would increase surveillance of Americans, and they warn these bills could lead to censorship of topics such as abortion online. The House has passed a tax bill that extends the child tax credit for three more years, A previous version boosted 3 million children out of poverty earlier during the pandemic. The bill also provides tax credits to businesses. Stocks opened higher this morning as the Labor Department reported a bigger-than-expected jump in productivity in the final months of 2023. NPR's Scott Horsley reports the Dow Jones Industrial Average jumped about 15 points in early trading. Productivity rose by 3.2 percent in the fourth quarter. Rising productivity is a plus for the economy. It allows businesses to pay higher wages without putting upward pressure on prices. Inflation has been coming down, both in the U.S. and Europe. January prices in the eurozone were 2.8 percent higher than a year ago, a slightly smaller annual increase than the month before. The Bank of England is leaving its benchmark interest rate unchanged, echoing this week's move by the Federal Reserve. The Fed says if inflation continues to trend down. It expects to start cutting interest rates this year, but Fed Chairman Jerome Powell cautioned a rate cut at the next Fed meeting in March is unlikely. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. And you're listening to NPR News from Washington. 
President Biden attended the annual National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. this morning. He told attendees about his view of America. My prayer, my hope, is we continue to believe our best days are ahead of us. That as a nation, we continue to believe in honesty, decency, dignity, and respect. We see each other not as enemies, but as fellow human beings, each made in the image of God. The president also said that he prayed for the people displaced by conflict in Gaza and those being held hostage. John Podesta, a White House aide with deep roots in democratic politics, will succeed John Kerry as the chief U.S. voice on climate policy on the world stage. NPR's Tamara Keith reports that Kerry, a former senator and secretary of state, will be stepping down in coming weeks. President Biden initially brought John Podesta in as a steady hand to lead the implementation of the Inflation Reduction Act, which, despite its unrelated name, invests hundreds of billions of dollars in clean energy and other efforts to cut the U.S. carbon footprint. Now, according to the White House, Podesta will add international climate policy to his portfolio, coordinating with a team at the State Department that has been working with Kerry. Podesta previously served as chief of staff to President Bill Clinton, was a climate advisor to President Barack Obama and was chairman of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2016. Tamara Keith, NPR News, Washington. And I'm Corva Coleman, NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include ECMC Foundation, working to improve higher education for career success among underserved populations through evidence-based innovation. Learn more at ecmcfoundation.org. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Janice Adams hosts the Janice Adams Show every Saturday morning here on Radio Catskill at 11. And she's joining us this morning. It's the first day of Black History Month. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Tim. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And I understand there's going to be kind of a new sound for you on the Janice Adams Show. Yes. You've got a new theme. Yes, uh, <laughs> we do. We have new theme music. I just thought it was time. This is our eighth season. I can't believe it. Um, and so coming into that, it was just time. So let's hear it. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, oddly enough for a, a woman led show. It's called Simple Man. <laughs> it is. <laughs> about this piece it's uh who, who wrote this it's yamendo <laughs> i hope i'm saying it right um but i just love the the kind of there's a little mystery to it and so just like you oh thank you <laughs> especially this morning <laughs> so just, just arriving in the nick of time exactly exactly <laughs> This is a this is a great uh, it's, it's a great uh, piece of music to get you uh, in the mood for the Janice Adams show every Saturday. So, what's happening on the show? Tell us about what's going on. Well, coming up, I'm gonna I'm gonna give us a little bit of a backstory to what just happened last week, and then we'll talk about what's coming up this yeah, month. Yeah, and uh, the backstory because I, I'm hoping people heard it, but I wanted to really 
pay attention to this particular episode because especially with what's going on with the kind of um, politicization of, to say the least, it's really propaganda, which forced Dr. Claudine Gay out of her position as the first African-American woman president of Harvard. And it the question is, how much do people know about the work of scholars, period, much less the work of African-American scholars and Latino scholars, indigenous scholars. So this week's show is called Scholars and Scholarship. And um, that's what I wanted to present. Yeah. And, and how much do we know about contemporary scholars and let alone the, the black and brown scholars who've been doing work for the last 150 years? Exactly. Um, you you have... Uh, you know, you talk about some of this work. Uh, in 1876, Dr. Edward Boucher became the first African-American PhD in any field, earning his doctorate in physics from Yale. In 1921, Dr. Georgi- Georgiana Simpson becomes the first black woman to earn a PhD, and she took hers in English at the University of Chicago. These are stories that most people don't know. No, and and it's a, it's a good way to kind of come into Black History Month. Uh, which begins today, and uh, because it, it it is the surprise, and it is what people don't know. It's also significant that they're both coming that they are both in northern cities, and uh, because we have to remember that that was the time of overt, outrageous segregation, which is I was really struck by yesterday's conversation about the bullying that is going on on social media. But my question is, I'm totally supportive of of the parents, but my question is, is it social media that's doing the bullying or is it the society? Mm. And we have a society that has ingrained and institutionalized bullying of certain people. That is what forced, that is what took so long for someone to earn a PhD. That is what took so long for some People had to travel so far to do so because at that time in the southern states with the extraordinary uh, segregation, it was not possible. It's also kind of amazing uh, when you think about it, uh, the time span between the male uh, person getting his Ph.D. and the female person getting her Ph.D., Mm -hmm. Dr. Boucher in 1876, Dr. Simpson not till 1921. Yes, and and that's an interesting year, too, because that's right after women get the right to vote. Now, clearly she was working on that before, but it it is a turning point. The 1920s marked a turning point where a lot of things came into fruition. The Harlem Renaissance is really the 1920s, and then we get the Great Depression in in the 1930s that once again ratchets things down. But it is significant that it's that long mm-hmm. and that few. It's not as though we've got, we don't have a lot of PhDs anyway, mm. but we also don't have a lot. So on um, this episode, you get to talk to two uh, women yes. who have PhDs. Tell us about that. Yes, Dr. Diana Hernandez and Dr. Sheila Walker. Diana Hernandez is Associate Professor of Public Health in the Department, it's always a mouthful, but Associate Professor of Public Health in the Department of Sociomedical Sciences at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. And here she is. 
And also, I think that uh, in this clip, the next clip from Dr. Walker is right after it. So we'll hear from both of them. Okay. And Dr. Walker is a cultural anthropologist and documentary filmmaker focusing on the global African-American diaspora. I am uh, a researcher at the intersection of energy, equity, housing, and health. Uh, and I have been specifically leading uh, research on a, a topic called energy insecurity, uh, which is uh, the inability to adequately meet household energy needs. Sociomedical um, is really about appreciating the social determinants of health. So what are the social conditions that would impact physical or mental health for individuals and then collectively um, in terms of population health. So for me, uh, a, a lot of what I do is actually study conditions at the margins. Uh, so when we think about uh, whatever is happening in our contemporary society, uh, people on the margins are being actively attacked, uh, and their very existence um, has been highlighted as problematic. What does that mean for people that are operating in this space today? Uh, from a mental health perspective, right, some of that is about trauma. Uh, some of it is also about um, chronic toxic stress, uh, and not just for adults, but also for children coming up uh, in these times. My work is also about the climate um, and how climate change is impacting people's everyday realities, not just in the sense of um, extreme weather events, uh, but even kind of more sporadically, uh, these power outages that may happen on a localized level uh, or the need for more temperature control, for example, as uh, the environment gets colder and hotter. My focus is relentlessly global. And um, so when I think of energy, I guess I think of people in countries where they don't have easy access or, or year, year, year long access to, for example, clean water. Um, I worked in places in the Sahel in West Africa where there was not an annual clean water supply, where the water table was so low that people with the resources they had, the technology they had, could not dig a well deep enough to get to the fresh water table. So they needed a borehole that could go down 250 feet, for example. You know, you can't dig a, a hand-dug well like that. And how do you get the water up? <laughs> then you you can pump it with fossil fuel. Well, that's not good because you have to buy the fossil fuel, and who's got money for that? So what they need is uh, renewable energy, solar power, for example, or wind. And so I've worked on projects that had to do with renewable energy, uh, biogas or solar mm-hmm. power, um, So I think about those kinds of things. I hadn't thought about the kinds of issues that Diana deals with, not having enough heat in the winter, not having enough cool in the summer. So this was a whole new world for me. Um, You know, I live in a building that's temperature controlled, right? So I don't think about it. But I don't, and the implications of not having adequate heat, not having hot water. So this is a real wake-up call, you know, for me and a whole bunch of other people, I'm sure. 
We are talking with uh, Janice Adams of the Janice Adams Show here on Radio Chat Skill. And we're talking about scholars and scholarship. And we just heard from two of them. Yes. Diana Hernandez, Associate Professor of Public Health, the Department of Sociomedical Sciences at Columbia's Mailman School of Public Health. And, excuse me, Sheila Walker, a cultural anthropologist and documentary filmmaker. Uh, And, you know, we're talking about these folks and talking and hearing from these folks in the context of not being aware of all of the great achievements that many black and brown folks over the last 150 years have contributed to scholarship. Yes, yes. And we have to understand that, you know, in order for the the way scholarship works is that in order for you to have someone who can teach the K through 12 level, they have to at least have a bachelor's. And frankly, the reason why people talk about teachers being so underpaid is because, especially in your major cities, most of the teachers have not only a bachelor's, but a master's. In order for you to have someone to teach someone at the bachelor's level, you have to have someone with at least a master's or a PhD. And it goes on like that. So when you don't have people who are able, who have those additional degrees, you are really impoverishing the experiences of everybody who is coming behind. These are people who not only do their own work and their own research and investigation, but they also teach the teachers who will teach all of us. And then they're, they're imparting their wisdom to that next group of people exactly with those stories and that information they've learned that education and if you don't have that then it gets interpreted in a different way exactly and also we have what we call representation but we should really just call the issues of racism and sexism and otherism that we have in this country because then you segment off a whole group of people in the population and say your intellect doesn't matter Whatever is on your mind doesn't matter. Maybe that's why we have as many problems as we have, because we have segregated off that body of information. So we we are impoverishing ourselves in terms of the wealth of experience that we could have and ability to interpret that experience in many different ways. That's what our scholars do. They not only... Most of them are in the academies. Most of them are, you know, at the university level. But at the same point, they are also advancing their fields because they have to do research, they have to write their dissertation, they have to create new inroads into their fields. We talked about uh, at the beginning here about Dr. Claudine Gay at Harvard and that yes. controversy. There's this ongoing sort of attack and backlash against universities and, and academia going on right now, it seems, in society. What What is your take on that? Well, it is a concerted effort by certain people to really take down the universities that they had considered, quote, too liberal. And too liberal meant that I was able to go to school and you were able to go to school. Some of them at these same colleges that they're attacking. (laughs) And they are, exactly. And they are attacking anything that did that, you know, that opened up and said, we're not going to segregate American education any longer. So that is what is happening. And if you don't want to believe me, then just look up the name Christopher Rufo. That is the man who took a work of an extraordinary attorney and scholar who was at Harvard Law School, who was a friend of mine, Derek Bell, 
and misrepresented his work, Critical Race Theory, into a real bugaboo about coming for your children with an agenda. And that is what the funding behind that, the mentality behind that. But we also have to see things in a 360. It's not just the, the mentality in the universities. This is happening at the exact same time of the assault on affirmative action. This is happening on the exact same time of the assault on women's rights to control and choose what is right for their bodies and their family. This is happening at the same time when a woman fantasizing that she might have someone who want a gay person who wanted a wedding website was able to take down 75 years of legislation on public accommodations. It's happening all at the same time. We're talking to Janice Adams. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more about uh, Black history. And uh, this is a really fascinating and unique take on Black history, Black History Month. It's an extraordinary podcast speaking to centenarians. Exactly. If you don't know what that is, stay tuned. This (laughs) is Radio Chatska. I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now!, independent grassroots global news. Our reporting includes breaking daily news headlines and in-depth interviews with people on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues. People speaking for themselves, providing unique and sometimes provocative perspectives on global events. Democracy Now!, weekdays at noon, right here on Radio Catskill. I'm Maria Hinojosa. This week on Latino USA, a conversation with Jay Johnson, the former secretary of the Department of Homeland Security under President Obama. Are there things that I would do differently with the benefit of hindsight? Yes, of course. But we're always smarter in retrospect. That's this week on Latino USA. Thursday afternoon at 1 on Radio Catskill. You're listening to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno, joined by Janice Adams of The Janice Adams Show, which airs every Saturday at 11, every morning, Saturday morning at 11, here on Radio Catskill. Um, this month, you are going to be featuring a really extraordinary podcast series called Before You Go. Exactly. Can and- you tell folks about this? <laughs> Before You Go, um, it's a unique take on Black History Month, as you teased right before the break. And with us on the show are the producer, co-hosts, Nicole Franklin and Bryant Monte, And they are producers of this series, Before You Go. And lurking in the background of that title is the taboo subject of death. But Before You Go is without question about life. Um stories about life and living from the vantage of those who, it could be said, know a lot more about the subject than most of us ever will. They are centenarians, people who have achieved or who are nearing their 100th birthday. And in this clip from the podcast, uh, Nicole and Bryant interview Nate Crump about his days in baseball. All right, here's a clip from the Before You Go podcast, which will be featured this month on the Janice Adams Show. 
So, I mean, did you have aspirations as a, as a child to say, look, I'm going to, you know, go for the pros. Pro baseball? Yes, sir. No, because at that time, there was no opportunity. In fact, when we went to Sportsman Park, we could sit in the center field bleachers or the right field pavilion. But the grandstand, we could not go. And even then, mm-hmm. our ladies were not recognized on latest day to come in free. They went there, they had to pay. Mm-hmm. But they still had to sit in the various sections. So you were playing baseball for a while, and I understand you did two exhibition games. You were in two exhibition games along with the Kansas City uh, Monarchs. So you were along the lines of those Negro baseball leaguers, but you weren't actually in the league, but you played with them. No, I was not in the league because Mm -hmm. uh, when I left school, Lincoln University, there was a doctor who was just opening up a laboratory. Mm -hmm. He was African-American, and it was a special kind of laboratory, microanalysis. And I had just started working with him when I played these exhibition games with the Monarchs. And they had asked me to join the system, but I I declined because one of the new fellow was catching there, Mm -hmm. and he told me about the kind of life that was lived. It uh, They played a lot of small towns and money was not that good anyway. But it was the idea that we could not stay in the hotels and those kinds of things and places to eat. And so uh, for that reason, I didn't think it was worth the gamble, even though I loved it. And he knew I did too. And what position did you play, Nate? I played in the outfield. I played mostly right field in most places. Wow, strong arm. (laughs) You must have been fast, too. Not only was he fast, but one of the things that is revealed is that he actually, that detour that he made put him in position, and he ended up joining a fledgling NASA, the oh, National wow. Aeronautic and Space Administration, which, because we're just six weeks after Christmas and I can't let it go, also kind of contributes to helping us follow Santa. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thank you, NORAD. Thank you, exactly. thank you NASA. NORAD, but, all of it. Well, you know, amazing. You know, we're talking about Black History Month and to hear from people who are have lived a hundred years or close to a hundred years of history is a really amazing thing. And to capture those stories before they go away. And as this title says, before you go. Before you go. It's a great title. And um, and the range of people, uh, you know, we also get to hear in this series from the people you don't hear from. So maybe it's not the director of NASA, but here is a line worker, a scientist who you otherwise might not get to hear from. There's another woman who's a piano teacher 
Um, and it goes on and on like that. Just what little pockets of information. And, you know, we love, I, I'm a historian, so I think in terms of that. But history gets taught in these grand themes instead of about the decisions that each and every one of us makes each and every day. And that this series brings that out. So as a historian, that's that's important to you to bring these personal stories yes. of history alive. Yes. And I, so I was so grateful to be able to meet and be able to do this interview with Nicole uh, Franklin and Bryant Monteith. And you'll be featuring it this month on the Janice Adams show. And, you know, you're always featuring unique and interesting voices on the show. Um, this month, first day of Black History Month. You know, wh- why is it important to have a month that, that recognizes Black history in this one time, but then also, you know, the larger issue of just continuing those stories? Yeah. Well, you know, Black history begins in 19, 19- Black History Month actually begins with Negro History Week in 1926. Carter G. Woodson, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, one of a black PhD, he, um, he decides that black history has been expunged by that time from any conversation in the schools because it made the lost cause Confederacy look bad. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying it that way because we obviously hear the parallels to today. Um, Well, we should. And, but he decided to bring that to the fore. He would create Negro history week in the seventies. I believe it was, um, I think it's Reagan who signed it, President Reagan who signed it into law, but but it became Black History Month and then became a, a national commemorative month. And it's important, I think, because misinformation and disinformation and a Swiss cheese approach to information full of holes does not really benefit anybody in the short term or the long. And so this is a month in which we fill in some of those missing pieces of our collective story. And uh, every every year there's a theme. This year's theme is African-Americans and the arts. And on the Janice Adams show this Saturday, you're talking about the arts. Tell us about Isn't what this episode is. Isn't that a nice segue? And it's like you, you also, planned it. <laughs> yes, and you also, you know, talked about the voices. Well, the voices that we are going to hear this week. Um, it's my series recorded two parts, recorded right at WJFF, our old studio, not the new, but Glory Days in Concert. And I love this particular work. So we are, this is a, a rebroadcast, but of something that from time to time in the last eight years I have played, but back. not regularly. Yeah. Um, and what it is, is that when I wrote my book, Glory Days, I knew at that time that the missing voices, the voices that had been forced out of the record, were in the spirituals, in that body of music. And so I decided to craft my book into a concert narrative, which we actually first performed on Music Square in Nashville with Hattie Winston, the actor-singer, Felicia Rashad, the actor-singer, and Joey Kibble of Take Six. Um, And we performed it there with the voices giving the narrative and the voices 
bringing bringing to life the voices and the of the ancestors through the spirituals. So Glory Days in Concert, it's just a wonderful um, explosion of music and message and all of that. And it will air this Saturday and next on the Janice Adams Show. That's at 11 o'clock Saturday morning here on Radio Catskill. Janice Adams, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I love our first Thursdays. We have good conversations. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice to see you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll take a break. And when we come back, checking in with Wayne County, a photo contest. We'll learn more right after this. This is Radio Chatskill. Radio Catskill supporters include Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association, SullivanCatskills.com, Catskill Brewery. Brewing ales, lagers, and mixed fermentation beers in a LEED Gold certified building, plus a food truck and beer garden at exit 96 off Route 17 in Livingston Manor. CatskillBrewery.com. And listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. I'm Callison Stratton, a singer songwriter, public historian, and host of Liberation Station here on WJFF Radio Catskill. Liberation Station is a show that highlights the work of female and femme presenting performers across genre and time. It's my little way of balancing the scales of representation on the radio. Join me for Liberation Station every Saturday evening at 7 p.m. only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. You're on the go, and Radio Catskill can go with you. Listen live to Radio Catskill on your phone. Just type wjffradio.org into your browser and listen wherever you are. Stay up to date on local news, culture, and NPR on the go on your phone with Radio Catskill. This is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Each year, the Wayne County Planning Commission issues an annual report, and this year, the Planning and GIS Department decided to give the public an opportunity to submit photos for the cover. They're holding a photo contest with submissions accepted through February 11th. Here to tell us more is Mickey Yuseps from Wayne Tomorrow. Mickey, good morning. Oh, there you are. Wiki. Mickey. <laughs> Oh, I lost her. All right. We'll take a break and we'll get her back. This is Radio Chats Go. Hi there. This is Brian, host of The Secret Show. Friday nights at 9. I'll be playing a mix of indie, alternative, college, rock, and pop. Some new music and some old classics. That's The Secret Show. Friday nights at 9. Only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hello, I'm Thane Peterson, host of Living Jazz. You know, jazz is a great improvised art form that started in America, spread around the world, and is still going strong. That's why every Saturday afternoon I bring you the best in current jazz. It's the newest, most interesting music you can hear anywhere. Join me for Living Jazz, noon to two Saturday, here on Radio Catskill.
Welcome back to Radio Chat Skill. I'm Tim Bruno, and we're live, if you haven't guessed. Uh, we've got Mickey Yousefs from Wayne Tomorrow back on the line. Wayne, uh, Mickey, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Not sure what happened there, but thanks for getting back. Uh, we got you back on here to talk about the Wayne County Planning Commission's photo contest. Uh, it's a photo contest uh, with submissions accepted through February 11th. And the photo is going to go on the, the cover of what sounds like might be, you know, not the most exciting report, the planning department's report, but it sounds like it's a great opportunity for folks to make it a little bit more exciting. Absolutely. The, the the report actually details all the work of the Planning Commission and our planning and GIS department over the course of the year, which involves, you know, sort of the dry numbers for how many subdivisions, how many ordinances they reviewed and things like that. But it does also talk about specific issues faced at the county, state and larger levels, um, at the municipal level and things like that. It also contains a really great um, municipal index, which includes contact information for all of the municipalities in Wayne County, and there's 28 of them, so, so a lot of information. Yeah, so why did you decide to hold a photo contest for this, you know, kind of standard issue yearly report? Right, so this year, a new staff member at the Planning GIS Department, Christine Wasco, was put in charge of the cover and thought it might be interesting to get the public involved a little bit, and as a way of helping people to get to know a little bit more about what planning does, but also just to really kind of highlight the beautiful area that we all live in. And what kind of images are you looking for? Right. So we're looking, particularly because the Lackawaxen River was nominated for the 2004 River of the Year, we would love to you'll see a link there. You can follow that link, and it'll take you right to a form where you can upload the image, sign all the appropriate documents, give us whatever information we need about the photo, and then submit it, and you're good to go. All right. And the uh, submissions deadline is February 11th, right? Correct. Yes. And the actual um, report will be presented to the commissioners, I believe, at the end of that month. All right. The end of February. And while we have you, we want to talk about uh, a new member of a Wayne County government, not an elected official, uh, but Onyx. Who Who is Onyx? Right, not an elected official, but way, way cuter. So Onyx, is, <laughs> she's adorable. No offense, so elected officials. Onyx is, yes, right. She is the new canine in our sheriff's department, um, a new canine deputy. She just joined us really at the end of January. She's about seven months old. She's a shepherd and absolutely beautiful, very, um, very mild mannered, just a beautiful dog, just wonderful. Yeah, and so what what kinds of uh, work will Onyx be doing, and and how can folks uh, help support Onyx in that work? Right, so she's really just getting started with her training in this, I think, like in the last week or so. Um, But eventually she's going to be doing uh, drug detection. She'll be able to help out with search and rescue. And um, she'll also be available once she's certified and trained. She'll also be available for school programs and other events within the community. But if you want to help um, us fundraise to keep her because, you know, She's a, a living creature who needs to be cared for. Um, you can go to also Wayne Pike or Wayne County PA.gov. And uh, if you go under the Sheriff's Department, you'll see the canine link there. And right now, through Platform Industries, we are in the middle of a fundraiser, and there's some great doggy bandanas and some long and short sleeve t shirts, hoodies that you can order that's got a special emblem that shows Onyx and a patriotic um, background. 
And I went to uh, the Sheriff's Department K-9 unit uh, website page, which is at waynecountypa.gov, and there is a picture of Onyx, and I can she adorable? I can agree with you and confirm she is cuter than most elected officials. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think any of them would even argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Again, um, more information about Onyx and the K-9 unit at waynecountypa.gov. And uh, let's remind folks about that photo contest and the photo submission where, where can folks get info about that right if you just go to waynecountypa.gov right under popular resources you'll see a link to the form and you just fill that out upload your photo and you're good to go all right great thank you mickey useups from wayne tomorrow thanks for joining us today and thanks for absolutely for letting us know about the 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 good work of onyx too <laughs> yes absolutely thank you so much all right we'll take a break and when we come back Riding Rough, How One Man Survived the Trans-America Trail. Barely, he says. This is Radio Chatska. CDC recommends everyone six months and older get an updated COVID-19 vaccine to protect against the potentially serious outcomes of COVID-19 illness this winter. To find COVID-19 vaccine locations near you, text your zip code to 438-829. Call 1-800-232-0233. Or go to WJFFradio.org, where you'll find a vaccine locator and COVID tracker. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. Hi, this is Marco Werman, host of The World. Weekdays at 3, our newsroom connects you with events around the globe. Our reporters in the Americas, Africa, Europe, and Asia get to the heart of the day's news. We bring you international perspectives on issues worldwide and here in the U.S. It's one hour each day that broadens horizons and takes you beyond our borders. Join me on The World, afternoons at 3, on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. In the summer of 2022, Calicoon Center resident Doug Woods rode over 5,000 miles on the off-road Trans-America Trail on a dual-sport cycle. Averaging about 200 miles a day, he and his riding buddy crossed the Continental Divide and rode along rocky trails with 1,000-foot sheer drop-offs and eventually made it to Oregon five weeks after they started. Which will show a short film of the trip along with sharing some of his most interesting and harrowing experiences at the Liberty Public Library on Saturday, February 17th. Doug is joining us this morning along with Tracy Gates of the Liberty Public Library. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, okay, Doug, I got to ask you, what an adventure. What, what motivated you to take on this challenge? I don't know. I just uh, saw a thing on YouTube and I saw a guy doing it. He had a little show and I watched it and I said, That'd be kind of cool. And I haven't been on dirt for 40 years. And my roommate from college is a motocross. He was number one in the country for a while, a motocross racer. Yeah. So I pitched the idea to him. And he's like, you're crazy. No way. He goes, how long is it going to take? I said, probably like a month. He goes, no way. No way. Because you're crazy. And then like about a year later, he called me up and said, are you still interested in doing that? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And uh, we just bought two, both those bought new bikes and took us a year to plan it. And, and new bikes, for folks who may not know what a, a dual sport cycle is, can you describe it, that kind of bike? It looks like a dirt bike, but it's street legal. Okay. So it looks like it has dirt bike tires, you know, it's knobby tires. And uh, you can ride, but it's got blinkers and I have a license plate. It's all legal for a street, but it's 
Made for dirt. But it's all made on dirt. And you yeah. went along the Trans America Trail. Yes. I'm not familiar with the Trans America Trail. For folks who aren't familiar with it, what, what is it? It's a it's a trail. This guy, Sam Corion, Corion, I can't pronounce his last name right. He developed this trail. Starts in uh, North Carolina on the ocean and ends in Oregon. But he's it's just a combination of fire roads, you know, back road stuff. It's all – he just put, it took him 12 years to put this together. And uh, it's – it's very intense. Some spots are real intense. So we start in the ocean, in Atlantic Ocean. In the ocean? Where we touch, actually touch the ocean. Yep. <laughs> okay. And, that was and then you, and then in North Carolina? In North Carolina. And, and then you, you head, yep. head west. And we head west and we just, it's, uh, you put a chip in your uh, GPS so you can have it on a screen. It's actual mapped out trail and you just follow that along. It's, it's all there. <laughs> wow. So, I have to imagine that when you first started out, it seemed like it might be kind of fun and exhilarating. When did you start realizing this is a really big challenge? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> I, when we hit the Rocky Mountains, that got very intense. Oh, all that way? Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, the East Coast wasn't too bad. There were a couple of spots that were kind of crazy. You know, just really rough roads and looked like a river that was going down a hill and that you're riding on, you know, big rocks and stuff you're going over. But, uh, that was, you know, Oklahoma's flat, fun. You can do 70 miles an hour and just cruise right along. But once you hit the Rockies, then it got interesting. Tracy, you, uh, how did you hear about this adventure and uh, what made you want to bring it to folks at the Liberty Public Library? Yeah, well, I've known Doug for a number, maybe 10 years now. At least. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, I always knew that he was uh, had a bucket list of adventures and we kind of bonded about long-distance running Oops, am I a little, a little too close? There you go. There we go. <laughs> um, and I think it was just you came by our house uh, a couple summers ago or maybe in the in the fall. And I hadn't even I don't think I even knew that you had done this trip. And you started telling my husband and I about it. And I was just floored. I just thought this is so great. And I hadn't I wasn't working yet at the library um, but he, but Doug sent me a video that his daughter had put together, and w- I watched that, and I just thought this is you know more people should know about <laughs> this. I had never heard, as you said, uh, I had never heard about the the Trans America Trail either. Um, and then when I started working at the library uh, this past summer, I really wanted to bring more um, people that have done interesting things um, to talk about their adventures and. Of course i thought of doug so we started talking about it and he said yeah sure i'll i'll come by so i'm excited to to uh to do it in a couple of weeks it's on the 19th on a saturday at 2 p.m oh i'm sorry i misspoke earlier i think yes. i said it was the 17th so I'm oh sorry. you know what i'm not is. looking it is the 17th oh, sorry okay. yeah i <laughs> said the 7 looked like <laughs> it's february 17th at 2 p.m and um yeah what what will be great about it is that um not only will he show this video but also some uh, a slideshow so people can really see what the terrain looked like, some of the places they stayed, and um, the bike itself. I think I convinced him to bring his jacket. <laughs> um, so people that might want to go on a trip like this can really learn a lot about it, but also armchair travelers like myself, uh, adventurers, I, I think they'll really have a good time listening to this. So who was someone shooting video? You, were you guys shooting video along the way? Or? Uh, we took a lot of pictures, and I had a GoPro, so I did some stuff on GoPro. You know, and we just, my daughter, I gave my daughter all the pictures and stuff. I said, here, make a video. She put it together. And she put it together. So um, we mentioned some of these harrowing experiences. What were some of the most challenging parts of this for you? I mean, first, let's talk about physically. 
And then, you know, mentally, well, physically, what were some of the biggest challenges? Well, physically, I, you know, I run a lot of marathons, so I think I'm in halfway decent shape. And I ride, still do ride a little bit on the road, though. And I haven't been on dirt, like, say, in 40 years. So, but I think I was in shape wise. I was okay. But once we, I say again, once we got to the Rocky Mountains, that's where it got very technical. And I, I got hurt in the Rockies. I thought my trip was done actually in Utah. Uh, we were in the Canyonlands National Park and we did the White Rim Trail. And it's, I thought it was like, oh, there's a nice little trail we can ride along the rim. But oh my God, it was 112 miles. I think 100 miles I was on my standing on my pegs, you know, riding technical. And it was like, I wiped out in some mud and uh, I got pinned. I actually got pinned. And I honestly could wow. not get out from underneath the bike. And my foot was bent all the way back. How I didn't blow my knee out, I have no idea. My foot was literally facing backwards and I was stuck. And we had an intercom. I could talk to my friend, Chris. And I said, Chris, Chris, I, you know, I'm, I'm pinned. I got, I'm, it's killing me. And he came, he had stopped. He came running back and he had a hard time getting the bike off me. He was stuck in the mud. Wow. And uh, I thought I was done. And my knee swelled up and we rested for a couple of days. And I, and then all of a sudden the second day, the next morning, I could feel it, but it, the swelling went down. I said, okay, let's go. So we kept going. So, so even though it's a motorized bike, there's a physicality, oh, to it. Yeah. not just from what it pinned you, but like just the yeah. riding of that bike yeah. is physical. Yeah. If anybody knows dirt bike riding, to do 200 miles, 250 miles a day is intense, very intense. I mean, you, by the end of the day, you're done. You're exhausted. And again, the heat in Oklahoma was 100 degrees every day, 100 degrees. And, and in Canyonlands, it was 115. Wow. We were the only, people's da- only people down there that I saw a game, uh, uh, for a ranger for the park ranger and he said we we're the only ones down there he goes 115 degrees down there and we had no we just had like a quarter water there's no shade down there no water down there so if you screw up that's it you're, you're done. done wow and actually they were looking for a hiker and uh the next day my wife had called me they found him he had died on the trail he just didn't have enough water and he died oh, wow. so but this trail they say about 1200 people attempt it every year and less than 100 finish Wow. Yeah. How does that feel for being part of that elite group? I mean, didn't die. That's good. Yeah. How- <laughs> that's my wife said to me when I left. She goes, don't come back in a box. That was her thing. <laughs> Love you, honey. Um, well, so obviously some mental challenges along the way then too, knowing that, you know, there is a very big risk here. Yeah, yeah. That, I'm always, that never bothers me. I'm like, you really? gotta go someday. It really doesn't bother me. I'm like, eh. What's the worst going to happen? You die? Well, you got to die someday. So it does. <laughs> really... Might as well do it. Doing do something, doing something love. Love, yeah. Right. Yeah. So these thousand foot sheer drop offs didn't concern you at all? It, it, a couple spots. I was like, I, if you made one mistake, you're dead. Wow. I mean, it dropped off right to rock. I mean, straight. I, I don't know who made these trails. They had to be made, you know, 100 years ago, I, I would assume. But they go right along the edge of a cliff and. And it, I mean, it just drops straight down, straight down. So you 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 guys voluntarily do this. It's not like it was a competition, you know, that people attempted. But was there a certain time frame that you guys were trying to like meet or or kind of make? Not really. We, we didn't want to push ourselves. We were just. I told my boss. You know, I work for Antrim Streamside in Livingston Manor. It's an inn, and I told her. I, I said I'm gonna be gone for like four or five weeks, but she goes, well, when are you going to be back? And I said, I'm not sure when I'm going to be back. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure. She goes, well, you got to give me a day. I said, I can't because I don't know how long it's going to take us. And we take, we would ride for like six, seven days and take a day off. Then ride six, seven days and take a day off just to recover that mentally and physically. You just want to kind of just sit at the pool and hang out. 
So what yeah. was it like when you finally saw the Pacific Ocean after five weeks of uh, starting out at the Atlantic Ocean? Right. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. I was like, uh, you can feel the cool air from the, from the Pacific Ocean. You go, the first thing you feel is that cool air. You know, you're getting close. And there's one spot that where the trail ends. And I was like, you come right onto the beach. I drove right into the Pacific Ocean, drove right in the ocean. So I was like, uh, okay, this is good. And, and the deal I made with my wife was I had to sell my bike. When I, I was going to say, how did you get back? I sold my bike out there. I went to a, I had a Honda and I went to a Honda dealership and I said, how much you give me sort of this bike? And they gave me a decent price and it, because it cost me about almost two grand to ship it back. So I said, I'll just sell it. I got two other bikes at home. So I just figured I'd just sell the bike here and I just flew home. And uh, Tracy, I wanted to yeah. ask you like, why do you, it's called adventure talk. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you know how one man survived the trans America trail barely. Uh, <laughs> as he says, why is it, why do you want to bring this type of programming to the, the public library? And folks, uh, to to get this perspective, yeah, I just think that there's so many interesting stories out there in our community, and uh, I always feel like we we don't always know it. Maybe we read about it, maybe we hear about it, but to be to actually go to the library and meet the person and be able to talk to them and ask them questions, and it could really, you know, I think it could really inspire other people to either. They don't have to do this trip, but maybe, you know, maybe it's just, you know, hiking in our and our the wonderful Catskills and planning a trip. You you talk to someone like Doug, who he planned this trip for a year. And I'm thinking, I don't want to plan a trip for a year, but maybe <laughs> I'll take a couple of days to um, I'm actually a bike packer. And I uh, and so I take I take a, you know, like a week or so to plan a trip. And if it inspires people to do that sort of thing, I just think. That's that's so great, and to be able to actually meet people like Doug. And you can meet Doug on the seventeenth. What are some of the other events happening this month at the Liberty Public Library? Yeah, we've got a pretty crowded um, schedule, and, and which I'm excited about. Um, as I spoke uh, last month, last, last month when I was here, um, I've gotten two writing programs up and going, and actually had them last month, and they were great. The first one is um, a memoir. Um, uh, memoir writing uh, workshop, and that's on that's coming up in a week, actually on uh, Thursday the eighth at two p.m. And I've had one, and I think people really enjoyed it, and I'm excited to to do that again. And then I'm also doing a uh, another writing. Um, let's see, uh, right now, which is more creative creative writing, and it, people can come and ask me questions. I was a book editor for. Many decades in New York City, um, and uh, I'm also a, a journalist. So it's a great opportunity to be around other writers and also uh, someone who knows knows a lot about publishing. Uh, and oh, and I'm doing. Uh, we have chair yoga. We have senior swing, which. Uh, people had we just had our inaugural one last week and and people had so much fun doing that you do have to sign up for those because they're super popular but just go to come to the liberty public library and sign up check out our uh our calendar um because there's lots of we've got movie matinees on every other friday what happens later is tomorrow at 1 p.m and then in two weeks we have indiana jones and the dial of destiny destiny uh at 1 p.m. on Friday, so that's every other week. And where can folks get more information about this jam-packed February I know, schedule? Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, Liberty, uh, just go online, libertypubliclibrary.org. dot org, and right. uh, but even better, come to the library and and introduce yourself. And I'm there on Thursdays and Fridays. Would love to meet you. And uh, Doug, uh, your talk's coming up again, as we said, Saturday, February seventeenth. It's called "Riding Rough: How One Man Survived." 
barely the Trans America <laughs> Trail. I'm I'm not saying that this is in the title. I just yes. want folks to know. But Doug, uh, thank you for joining us today. I, before we go, though, would you do this again? No. <laughs> I rolled the dice and I came out okay. I didn't. It's. I'm telling you, you have no idea how dangerous it is. I mean, you could be literally killed pretty much at any point. So I didn't want to do it again. The next trip is uh, Appalachian Trail. A little easier now that you have crossed the Trans American Trail. <laughs> yeah, that, that, wow. I think in two years, so I'm gonna, too young to try to do the Appalachian Trail. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Hey, thank you for being here. Thanks for sharing the story, yeah, and no uh, congratulations on completing it. Yeah. And uh, you know, look forward to hearing your talk, Tracy Gates. Thank yes. you so much from Liberty Public Library. Doug Woods, who uh, rode the Trans American Trail. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that's all for this edition of Radio Chat Skill. Tomorrow, uh, we will talk about the 26th annual Liberty Jazz Festival. It's at uh, Liberty Central School District, presented by the Music Department. On Saturday the 3rd, the festival features high school and middle school jazz ensembles from Liberty, Monticello, Tri-Valley, and Livingston Manor School Districts. We'll learn more about that tomorrow on Radio Chat Skill. You can hear this episode, previous episodes, and check out all of our local programming at our website, wjffradio.org. I'm Tim Bruno. Thanks for listening. Support for Radio Catskill comes from JeffWorks Office Solutions, located right on Main Street in Jeffersonville, New York, a newly renovated pet-friendly office space that rents by the day, week, or month with hot desks, sound-insulated rooms, Wi-Fi, modern amenities, and 24-hour secure access. Online at jeffworksjville.com. And from The Cooperage Project, thecooperageproject.org. And listeners like you who donate at WJFFradio.org. Music from a musician's perspective. I'm Kathy Geary. And on Now and Then, we explore the artistry of the singer-songwriter. Now and Then, Saturday afternoons at 3 on Radio Catskill. Listen local. On Point is next, followed by Democracy Now! and Latino USA at 1. Today's weather, the temperature warmer than yesterday, high near 36. There's a chance of a shower or maybe some wet snow, very slight chance though. Uh, tonight, through tomorrow, tonight's low 31, winds light and variable. Tomorrow, again, a possibility of some flurries or snow showers, high 37. This is Radio Catskill, local news, culture, and NPR. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Farm Arts Collective, located on Willow West Organic Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. Farm Arts Collective's programs intersect the practices of farming, performance, food, and ecology. FarmArtsCollective.org From the Community Foundation of Orange and Sullivan, a publicly supported philanthropic institution, CFOSNY.org, and from listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. Thank you for all the ways you help WJFF Radio Catskill. Your support sustains the news, music, and local voices that make up WJFF. It's only possible because of your generosity. Help keep it going. Consider signing up to be a sound supporter to make sure Radio Catskill has your constant support. Go to WJFFradio.org. 
and thank you for supporting public radio in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill. On air, online, on your smartphone, and on your smart speaker. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. We are Radio Catskill. Keeping you connected.